0: The following is a teaching from Irving Bible Church. To learn more about who we are, visit irvingbible.org slash new. Well, good morning, IBC. How we doing? It's great to see you guys here. Also, to know we've got a bunch of folks that have joined us online this morning. Welcome. So glad that you are here. As you can see, our construction project here in the room is well underway. We're hoping they're going to wrap that up this week and it'll be all ready for next week for Thanks for the Nations. I hope you'll make plan to be here. Hey, before we dive into the sermon this morning, we've got something uh, to celebrate that after this service out in town square, 15 people are going to publicly declare their faith through baptism. Yes, yes. And we want to invite you to be a part. It's a big celebration, an opportunity to cheer them on as they uh, go into the waters of baptism, and just the the, the joy that comes as we watch them uh, come out. So make plans to be a part of that. But in addition to inviting you to be a part of it, I wanted to let you hear some of their stories. So let's take a listen.
1: I became a believer um, kind of on my own. It started when I had ACL surgery last year, and Everything in my life kind of fell apart. And I thought I was alone in my journey. And I really had to open up to him and ask him for strength through that time because I thought I had no one, but he was there for me. And so that's when I really started to open up to him. I became a believer um, when I was like much younger. I was like five years old. Like we talked about salvation a lot. And my mom also talked about it like at home. And then she told me like, give your heart to Christ and you'll be saved. It was after church and I was like alone in the sanctuary and I just gave my heart to Christ there. My name is Taylor Gilmore and I believe Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. I become a believer because I love Jesus. Jesus saved me from all my sins. He, he died on the cross for, our, for my sins. He died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead. Jesus um, died on the cross for my sin, and He did that for me so I didn't have to do the punishment. My name is Oliver, and I believe that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. I am Charlie Robles, and I believe Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. I just I just want to be baptized because um, I want to I want to show. Like everyone that I, I truly do believe in Christ, and I want to, I want to grow my faith through him, um, through my the rest of my life, right? And that's why I feel like right now is the perfect time. Um, I kind of want to start a new journey or a new life with God, and just for my own identification, and just show like my parents and my friends and my like the rest of my family that I'm accepting Christ and that uh, I love Him. Hi, my name is Liam, and and I think Jesus is my Lord and Savior. My name is Hannah I believe that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior um, I'd like to share with my fellow believers that trusting Christ is truly worth it um, I just believe that like us growing together through him is some like something beautiful that we really can do. One thing I would share would be like sometimes, Especially like in school, it won't be like cool, I guess, to be a Christian or to believe in God, because everyone else wants to do other things. But you only need one supporter, and that's God. So as long as you're doing what, like, He would be happy with, then you don't need to worry about anything else. I would say when times get tough, to to try and just stay strong, and like, the best thing that would help it would be like just praying to God about what's troubling you and that um, it will get better because he's always there for you. My name is Bryson and I truly believe that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. My name is Osahima, and I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. My name is Gianna and I believe that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior.
0: So good. So good. I hope you will plan to stick around and be a part of our celebration after the service. If you have a Bible with you this morning, grab it and let's go to Acts chapter 11 this morning. Acts chapter 11, we're going to continue to learn from the church at Antioch. A number of years ago, there was a study conducted by the University of Michigan led by Dr. Sarah Conrath, and they studied the scores of nearly 14,000 respondents to the Interpersonal Reactivity Index. They, they studied the scores from over 30 years, from 1979 to 2009. The Interpersonal Reactivity Index is a questionnaire that assesses empathy. And it does so by asking questions like, um, I often have tender concern and concerned feelings for people less fortunate than me. Or uh, I try to look at everybody's side of a disagreement before I make a decision. And respondents are asked to to gauge, agree or disagree with prompts like that in order to assess empathy. And, And what this study found by looking at a window of 30 years is that over that period of time, empathy scores had dropped significantly. Respondents in 2009 scored themselves, 75, 75% of the respondents scored themselves lower than respondents in 1979. And the overall change, the overall drop in empathy in that 30-year period was 40%. That By this study, Americans are 40% less empathetic than they were back in 1979. And I have to imagine that if they continued the study right up into today, that downward trajectory would have continued. Could it be that that all of the division, the the hostility, the, the animosity that we experience in our cultural environment right now could be a result of the expanding erosion of empathy, a growing crisis of compassion? This morning, we're continuing our sermon series called Credible, where we're talking about the reality that that the church in North America in these days is is going through something of a credibility crisis. Will will we be good news people? And is our news all that good? And and, and we believe that it is. And yet more and more, the, the world around us is questioning that. And so how do we have a credible witness in our cultural environment? And in order to answer that question, we're looking back at a first century church that had a, question, had a credible witness in their cultural environment and says, to see what it is that we can learn from them. What was true of them that must be true of us today? This is the church at Antioch. And this morning, as we look back at the story of the church in Antioch, the, the, the origin story of this church, what we're going to see is that part of what made them a credible witness in their world was their remarkable compassion. We we talked a little bit last week about the importance of compassion. And we said that when you look back at the gospels, the word that's used to describe the emotional disposition of Jesus more than any other is the word moved with compassion. And we said, if the first word people reach for to describe Jesus is compassion, what would it do for our credibility if the first word that people reach for To describe us was compassion. This week we're going to dive a little deeper into that idea by looking at two scenes here in this story at the church at Antioch. One is an expression of interpersonal compassion, one to another, and the second scene is an expression of corporate compassion, a collective expression by the community of compassion. Let's look at that story together. Now remember the context here is that a group of Jewish believers has brought the gospel to the city of Antioch. The city of Antioch, we said, is uh, morally chaotic. It is religiously pluralistic, and it is ethnically diverse. And it's into that city that this church is born. The first multi-ethnic church, as these Jewish believers bring the gospel to to Gentiles, to to non-Jews, and they give birth in this uh, remarkably diverse city to the first multi-ethnic church. And we see then that the church in Jerusalem has heard now about what's happening in Antioch. So they send Barnabas to check it out. What's going on? And and we're told that Barnabas joins in the ministry. And at the end of that, that a great number of people were brought to the Lord. And then we pick up the story in verse 25. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. The disciples began to be called Christ people at Antioch. And the reason, as we said for that, is that the, the, the people around them didn't know what else to call them. Prior to that time, your religion and your ethnicity were bound up together. But now something new like the world has never seen is taking place at this church in Antioch. And many people are coming to the Lord. And so Barnabas decides that he wants to go and find Saul and recruit Saul into ministry at the church at Antioch. Now, to really get the force of this, you need to understand something about Barnabas, and you need to understand something about Saul. First of all, Barnabas, you may recall, if you know anything about him, isn't actually his name. His name is Joseph, and there's a few other Josephs in the Bible, and so we don't get him mixed up with them because he's mainly known by his nickname. His nickname, Barnabas, means son of encouragement. And you can imagine how he got that name. That, that, that what people saw most in him was the way in which he was a, an encourager to other people. I wonder what you might come up with to fill in the blank son of to describe your friends around you. But they reached for the word encouragement to describe Barnabas. And Barnabas here is one who sees something in Saul. And so he's willing to go and make the 100-mile the journey to Tarsus to go try to find Saul. Now Saul, we know from his backstory in the book of Acts, is the, the, the one that we come to know later as the Apostle Paul. And Paul has had this miraculous conversion experience. But Paul's conversion is 10 years before we pick up this story at Antioch. Paul had come to faith in Jesus but lived in relative obscurity for 10 long years. We don't hear anything about Paul after his conversion until we pick it up here. For a decade, it seems, no one one wanted to have anything to do with him. That despite his miraculous conversion and the the story getting around, that that still there was a sense of suspicion, a, a, a wonder about this guy who was a persecutor of the church, somebody who is who is an accomplice to murder, if not the chief conspirator, as part of it? Paul had been involved in the persecution of the early Christians prior to his miraculous conversion. And it seems as though nobody really wanted to have anything to do with him. But Barnabas, Barnabas was willing to take a risk. Barnabas was willing to move towards him, to, to make the hundred mile journey, which was a considerable journey in that day, to, to go and to try to find him and to recruit Paul into ministry. That happened because of Barnabas. This act of compassion, one man to another, changed a life forever. Right, Paul, who had an incredible impact on the ancient Mediterranean world, Paul, who had an incredible impact on world history was recruited into ministry through a remarkable act of compassion from Barnabas. One act of compassion has the potential to change a life. And you never know, right? You never know the impact that might come from your one simple act of showing up and demonstrating compassion. There are... A thousand ways for us to show compassion in our lives, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our communities, right here in this church. I think about the compassion that folks show when they show up to be teachers in our middle school ministry, right? We all remember what it was like to be in middle school. I had the opportunity a few years back to preach at my home church, the church that I grew up in from the time that I was in fourth grade. It was such a special treat to be back at that place that had shaped me so profoundly. And I got up to preach and I looked over here to my left and just over here a few rows back was an older gentleman named Mike. And when Mike was a considerably younger gentleman, he was my sixth grade Sunday school teacher. And Mike showed up to demonstrate compassion to a shy, insecure sixth grader. And it marked my life. Right, His willingness just to show up and to demonstrate care and I was moved as I looked out and saw him sitting out there. But you know what I think about? The fact that, that in, in many respects, all of those who have in any way been marked by my ministry have been marked by his. Because he showed up. He showed compassion to a shy, insecure sixth grader. And it changed a life. And It impacted the lives of many others, and that's what you see in the story of Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas showed up. He, he went to find Saul and recruit him into ministry to give him an opportunity and then see how the Lord used him. That the, the one act of compassion changed the life, but it's important to note that one act of compassion literally changed the world. You never know what might come from your simple demonstration of interpersonal compassion. May we be compassionate people, but but the second scene that we see here is about a compassionate church, that that they were uh, demonstrating compassion here in the origin story at an individual level, but then we also see this expression of compassion at a corporate level, at a a communal level. Look with me in verse 27. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them, named Agabus, stood up through the Spirit And predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. And the disciples, as each was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. And this they did, sending their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. So very interesting. right? You may want to note, if you are one who's prone to mark in your Bible, you may want to underline that little phrase, the entire Roman world. And the reason that phrase is important in this story is that Antioch was a part of the entire Roman world, that Antioch was going to be impacted by this famine that was predicted through the the power of the Holy Spirit. And yet they didn't think primarily of themselves, right? What they thought when they heard that a famine is coming was they thought of those who had a greater need than they did. And they said, we can do something about it. We can collect our resources, we can pool our resources to make an impact on other people. And remember, the the church in Judea, this is the church in Jerusalem, this is the mother church. Um, I love uh, reading uh, Ageth Fernando's commentary on this passage and he talks about the idea that the mother church in Jerusalem sent the gospel to Antioch and now the daughter church in Antioch sends money to the mother church to help her in her time of need. They thought, what can we do for people less fortunate than ourselves? How might we mobilize our resources to make a difference in their lives? This is a, a corporate communal expression of compassion. This story reminds us that individually and collectively, we are to be people marked by compassion. But, but there's a, a couple of things that I think we need to note about the nature of compassion in order to get this for our personal lives, in order to get this for our life together as a church family. First, just to note that compassion is meant to move us, right? to move us emotionally. In fact, even in our English word compassion, the Latin underneath that is this word passio, to suffer, and the prefix c-o-m is with, to suffer with. To have compassion is to feel deeply about another's suffering. Compassion moves us into the pain of other people. But I really love the Greek word that's underneath this phrase, moved with compassion. It's the word splagizomai. I like just saying it, right? Splagizomai. And it literally means to be moved as to one's bowels, which sounds awfully strange, right? But, but hang with me for a second. That the word splagnon, the, word, the Greek word for bowels, the, the, the bowels were believed to be the, the sort of seat of compassion, of empathy, of love. We think about it even in our little phrase, a gut reaction, right? You feel it in your gut, and that's the idea behind this, to, to, to be moved with compassion, splatgizomai, is to feel it down deep inside when another person is going through, to be moved with compassion. And this word is used of Jesus over and over and over again. One of my favorite authors is Frederick Beekner, and I love his little definition of compassion. beekner says this, Compassion is the sometimes fatal capacity for feeling what it's like to live inside somebody else's skin. It's the knowledge that there can never really be any peace and joy for me until there is peace and joy, finally, for you too. I love that little phrase. To feel what it's like to live inside somebody else's skin. And isn't it remarkable to think that the incarnation of Jesus is the most profound expression of compassion. that He took on our skin, took on our flesh to dwell among us. Compassion is meant to move us at an emotional level, to, 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 to create in us the ability to see people the way that Jesus sees them and to feel for them the way that Jesus would feel for them. Compassion moves us, but second and very importantly, compassion moves us to action. Right? It's supposed to move us emotionally, but it, it can't stop there. Right? Compassion without action is empty. Over and over and over again, you see this language used of Jesus and he's moved with compassion, but then he always does something about it. He moves into action. Compassion ought to move us in action towards The broken places and hurting people in the world around us. This is what you see in the story interpersonally between uh, Barnabas and Paul. It's what you see collectively with the church at Antioch for the church in Jerusalem. Their feeling drives them to action. This is what James, the brother of Jesus, alludes to in James chapter 2. When he's talking in that context about your faith expressing itself in deeds, he says it ought to move you to action. James 2.14 What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? And then he gives this hypothetical. Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. Now is James saying that we are saved by our actions by our deeds by our works no and we are saved by faith we're saved by grace alone through faith alone but we are saved by faith alone but not that is alone that genuine faith is accompanied by actions and James is saying to us if if your faith isn't accompanied by action it's not genuine faith it's dead it's useless That our faith ought to lead us to action. That these actions, that, that, that moving toward people in compassion, meeting the needs of others, serving people around us, is actually a good indication for us of how closely we are following in discipleship to Jesus. Because discipleship to Jesus is to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, to carry on Jesus' work in the world. Are we becoming like him? God's agenda for you and me is to make us more and more like the one who has saved us. The most frequently used word to describe the one who saved us is compassion. Therefore, what does God want to form in us? Compassion. So when was the last time that you made a significant sacrifice of your time for the sake of someone in need? When was the last time that you made a significant sacrifice of emotional energy for the sake of someone in need? When was the last time you made a significant financial sacrifice for the sake of someone in need? When was the last time you gave something away for the sake of something in need? Now, for some of us, there are ready examples that are in our recent memories. For others, we might have to think back a little bit. I think this is a good tool for us to just assess how closely are we following Jesus and becoming more and more like him by living lives marked with compassion. Now, I want to talk a little bit this morning about one specific need in our community that I believe that God wants us to collectively help address. Uh, in his wonderful commentary on the book of Acts, on this passage where the Spirit makes clear the need that the church is to move towards, Willie James Jenning says this. He says, a church that knows not the particular needs of its time and place is a church that has not heard the Spirit speaking. The church is marked by the Spirit with an inescapable action and an irrefutable demand. We must do what we can to address the particular needs that the Holy One confronts us with. And I believe one of the needs that the Holy One confronts us with in our community is the growing issue of homelessness in the city of Irving. Every night, more than five 580,000 people live without homes in the United States. That number in Dallas County is over 4,000 people. That translates to hundreds who are right here in our city who are living without homes. And this, I believe, is a, a need in our community that we can, that we should, that we must move towards. Now, I want you to know that if you give faithfully to Irving Bible Church, then you've already been helping to address this need and to care for these people for years now, actually. That your faithful giving to IBC makes it possible for us to partner with organizations like Many Helping Hands. And Many Helping Hands provides a a day um, facility and a day program for homeless people in our community where they can come, they can take a shower, they can wash their clothes, they can find community, they can receive a meal. And so we have A long-time partnership with Many Helping Hands making that possible. I had the opportunity to visit there not that long ago. It's at the old Irving Bible Church location down on Finley Road. And uh, it was incredible just to be there and to see what God is doing to help meet the needs of these people within our community, our neighbors in need. And so your faithful giving to IBC makes it possible for us to help fund the work of Many Helping Hands. Second, we also partner with an organization called Crisis Ministries And crisis ministries is providing food for people who are in need. And so your participation in the life of this church helps make that work possible. And then the third thing that I want to make sure that you know about is our partnership with an organization called Life Change Housing. And Life Change Housing are the ones who organize the inclement weather shelter here in the city of Irving. About 45 nights a year, the temperatures drop below freezing. And this can be very dangerous even fatal for people who are living out without a home. And so there is an inclement weather shelter in Irving. It's uh, in a building back behind Christchurch. And we have an opportunity to partner with, uh, with um, this uh, ministry, Life Change Housing. And it's really a partnership, a collaboration of several different churches in our area. Pastor Dennis Webb from Bear Creek Community Church, the old IBC building. Um, Dennis has been a community leader in responding to this issue and caring for these people for decades. And so he's provided a considerable amount of leadership on this issue. Christ Church over on 183 provided the space uh, for us to have this inclement weather shelter and Irving Bible Church has provided a significant financial support for this ongoing work. But we wanna be a church that isn't just mobilizing resources, right? We, we, we We wanna be a church that yes, does send money when there's a need, but doesn't just send money. We wanna be a church that sends people. We wanna be known as the church that shows up, that demonstrates compassion. And so 45 nights a year, there's an opportunity for for those of us that are part of IBC to show up and demonstrate compassion by volunteering to serve in that inclement weather shelter. And I think today we can fill up spots to help make that happen. Today out in town square, Steve Allen from Life Change Housing is gonna be here and you have an opportunity to go out today and say, sign me up, put me on the list, that I'll get a text message when the forecast is the temperatures will drop below freezing. There will be people who show up into that place where they can come, where they can find connection, community, where they can get uh, fed, where they can wash their clothes and have a safe place to sleep. Let's be a church that's known for our compassion in the community around us. I wonder if today God might be calling some of you in this room to go sign up to be moved with compassion into action by serving in our inclement weather shelter. But as we conclude this morning, I wanna just pause and ponder the question with you for a minute. Why compassion? Why should we be individuals? And why should we be a community marked by compassion? Is it just because it's the right thing to do? Is it just because we feel really bad about the needs of other people or we feel really guilty for how good we have it? no. There's a much deeper reason that we are to be individuals and a community marked by compassion, and that is that we have been the recipients of God's compassion towards us. That we show compassion to the world because God has shown compassion to us. And this is who God is. That when God reveals himself to Moses back in the book of Exodus, when he lets his glory pass in front of him, and God describes himself, describes to Moses who he is, he says this in Exodus 34, 6. The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, right? When God wants to describe himself, the first word that he reaches for to describe himself is the word compassion. And this is unlike any of the rival gods in the ancient Near Eastern world that none of the rival gods were marked by compassion. They were vengeful, they were capricious, they were indifferent, but not Israel's God, not the God revealed in the Bible, not the God revealed in Jesus. The God of the Bible preeminently revealed in Jesus is, as Paul says, the father of compassion. And Jesus' incarnation into the world is the incursion of compassion into our broken world. That Jesus took on flesh to dwell among us out of compassion for you. That he went to the cross and died a sacrificial death out of compassion for you. That that he triumphed over sin and death through his resurrection out of compassion for you and me and the rest of the world. That we see in the gospel story, the, the compassion of God put on display towards broken humanity. And that because we have been the recipients of that divine compassion, then we show compassion to the world. May we be individually and communally a people marked by compassion. Let's pray together. And if you're here this morning and you want to know God's compassion in your life, the first time, you want to experience that compassion, that grace, that forgiveness, that mercy, all you have to do is acknowledge the reality of your need and trust. Trust that it's true. Trust in what he has done. To acknowledge the reality of your need, to say, God, I I recognize that I am a sinner. I recognize that, that I can't save myself. I need you. I need you. And then to trust, just to simply say, Jesus, I trust in what you have done for me. I trust in your sacrificial death. I trust in your victorious resurrection. I trust that you can lead my life, that you can change my life, that you can give me the gift of eternal life. I trust you. And for all of us who have acknowledged our need and trusted in the past today anew, may we be um, just deeply marked by gratitude for God's divine compassion towards us. And out of gratitude for that compassion, may we dedicate ourselves anew and afresh to be people individually and collectively who express God's compassion to the world. God, thank you. Thank you for your compassion towards us through the work of Jesus. And we celebrate your compassion towards us now in response. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. The following is a teaching from Irving Bible Church. To learn more about who we are, visit irvingbible.org slash new. the following.